We're going to be in Revelation chapter 4 this morning. And before we get there, before we get to Revelation 4, this was not in my plan or my uh, notes this morning, but I want to look for a second at Colossians 3. Because there's a if-then in Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I know that our hearts are often divided. Our attentions and our allegiances are often separated from what it is that God would have us um, look at. And what is really worthy of our attention? What is worthy of our time? So this morning, as we look at Revelation 4, I, I only have a simple application and I'll give it to you right up front, and then we'll see if we get there. The simple application that I want us to get this morning is this. On earth as it is in heaven. That's what I want us to get. That's what the whole of the letters that were written to the churches and the admonishments and the corrections of, of what worship looks like, of what overcoming uh, people who are overcome with the overcoming Savior. That's what it looked like. It says, this is on earth as it is in heaven, right? But I think we don't know on earth what it is in heaven because we don't often look at heaven. We don't often look at what heaven is about. And I was telling Doug this this morning on the porch that this came to me last night in my prayers is, <laughs> is the reason why I think that we don't look at heaven often in the church. Well, one, the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about heaven in particular. But I think that the reason is, is that there's no way for us to make it about ourselves. That as you look at the text uh, about heaven, there's just no way in that text that we could draw anything out of it that would make heaven about us. And so the reason why maybe we don't talk about heaven in church is because we like to talk about us. We like to talk about how we feel. We like to talk about our emotions. We like to talk about how does this affect me? What is what you know, what is isn't this about me? Isn't this about my position? Well, I'm hoping that we see this morning that heaven is about a declaration of the one who is on the throne. And heaven declares God's glory. Heaven declares that God is holy. Heaven declares that God is worthy in his creative power to be worshipped on earth as it is in heaven. He is worthy. Derek Prime asked a question in his book, how can you explain to a goldfish in its bowl what it's like to be as free as a bird in the sky? The goldfish in its bowl, it knows a world without, with just limits and boundaries. 
And yet it feels that it is as free as any being out there. It's free to swim where it wants to. How would the gold stand, goldfish understand a world in which it has never experienced? How would the goldfish understand that? Further, Derek Prime adds, how would you describe a tropical fruit to someone who has never tasted it? Or a sunset to a man born blind? Or a Beethoven symphony to someone born deaf? So the Bible, in its descriptions of heaven, is reserved, and understandably so. Because who in your and my finite mind could wrap our heads and our hearts around that? So we'll see from the description on the throne of what's going on around there that as we look at this book and we see all of its vast symbolism, that we're given a glimpse into what is really super unfamiliar to us. Things beyond our finite mind. And in his best human mind, the Apostle John draws from the familiar to describe that which we have no frame of reference for. In our text this morning, I want us to, in our minds, in our hearts, be transformed into the throne room of God in heaven. I want us to think that way, and I want us to feel that way this morning. What is heaven like? You know, the, have you ever heard these sayings, and we say them all the time, or you'll hear them on TV or whatever, that you know somebody gets, say, a great dessert, and they take a bite and say, Oh, that's heaven. Really? Oh, that's heaven. Or we go to a place and we get what we want, or we're, we're in a place where it's, it's really beautiful and grand. Oh, this is heaven. It's really a glimpse of Him. It's really not heaven. It's a glimpse. It's a taste. It's a foretaste. It's really nothing. So what is heaven like? The reason why we say that this or that thing is heavenly, this taste that we have, because we have made it about us. We're trying to make it about how we feel and what is what, what we find delightful. So what I define del- delightful, I get to define what heaven is, because this is delightful to me. This is pleasant to me. So that, to me, then, is heaven. That's really what those proclamations are. Oh, this is heaven. This is not heaven. It's not even close to heaven. It's not even what it's like. What does the one who is on the throne look like? What does he look like? We always want to ponder that in our minds, right? And people draw pictures, right? To try to describe and try to make us see what it is. It's nothing that we could picture. It's nothing that we could draw. So, what is the activity of heaven? What is the activity of heaven? These are questions I'm asking that we will answer this morning from our text. So we're going to ask the Lord to draw our hearts toward new affections, toward new activity in Him, in Jesus' name, this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we unfold Your Word this morning, I pray that by Your Holy Spirit You would speak to us, that You would draw us near to Yourself, that You would draw us away from us and into Your presence, that we would get a glimpse of the glory of God this morning, that we would declare Your holiness and Your worth. 
Lord, with our lives on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here's how this begins in Revelation chapter 4. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. As you read that, maybe in your text, there's an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. It's excitement. Behold, there's a door open in heaven. Well, for the first century Jewish mind, to enter into the presence of God through an open door is not a concept that would have been easily grasped. So you remember from the Old Testament, it says, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. This is Hebrews 9, 7 through 8. So the presence of God remains shielded from man behind a thick curtain during the history of Israel. However, Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross changed that. So the door was open. And as I thought about this open door, you might recall from last week, in the letter to the church, uh, to the church of Philadelphia, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. It's a letter to the church who says this, I know your works and behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Christ has opened the door And what is it that has opened the door for the faithful church in Philadelphia? Faith. It is by faith. They weren't very strong. They weren't very powerful. All they had was Jesus and they clung to Him. And He was the open door to heaven. You cannot perform your way there. There's absolutely no way to perform your your way there. As it says that, behold, there was this open door. John here is pretty excited. He's pretty excited to see this open door. And as he's declaring this to his audience, first century Jewish Christians would have said, what? In amazement, there is a door open to heaven? You were entered in so that you could see and experience the glory of God? Amazing. So, as we move forward in this text in verse, um, the end of uh, verse 1 and 2. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So, here he is. He says, Come up here. Jesus has sounded the trumpet and said, Come up here. Right? And I will show you what must take place after this. So this heavenly interlude is now, though. I'm going to show you what is going on now. This is what heaven is like. This is what's going on in heaven, around the throne of God now. And soon, what I'm going to unfold in the rest of this book is what must take place after this, after these 
things, right? But he's showing him this glimpse of heaven and the glory of God because it makes absolutely total sense that if we focused our attention on the heavenly and what is going on, on who God is, on his glory, on his authority, on his worth, then these things that must come to pass would make absolute sense to us. He's holy, perfect, righteous, glorious. He speaks and things exist. So this that must take place after this makes a lot more sense if God is all of those things. So, here He is. Heaven declares the glory of God. What I want us to notice that as heaven declares the glory of God, in verse 3 he says, And he who sat there had an appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Notice here in verse 3, here's the description of the one on the throne. Does it not seem sort of vague? All that, that, that John could muster was the appearance of two stones and an emerald around it. That's all he could say. There's lots of description of what's going on around the throne, but not so much of he who sat on the throne had the appearance of these two stones. And then he moves forward to what is going on around the throne. And then the description is the glory of God. And it is only in human terms because... Again, what we get here is only a glimpse. Let's look at verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, the sea, a sea of glass like crystal. So you see here, heaven declares that the glory of God, that's what's going on around the throne. I can make a description. I'm making a description of he who is on the throne, and there's not much I can say. But here's the glory of God, that which surrounds the throne. I can only speak of his glory. I can only speak of that which emanates from the throne. Heaven declares that he who is on the throne is glorious. That's our first glimpse. What we must understand, if we set our minds on things above and things that are not on the earth, right? What must our minds be set on on earth as it is in heaven? What, did church, what does church look like then? What do our worship services look like then? If it's about the glory of of God, not about our own glory. So as we gather each week, right, our aim should be to magnify, to get a sense of the glory of God. It is about the glory of God in heaven. How much more so should it be also here that it's about the glory of God? So next, we're going to see in verses 6 through 8. And the throne, and before the throne was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. 
The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worship never cease. See, the close attendance to the throne, they represent all of creation. And at the same time, this description transcends all of our understanding of what created beings look like, doesn't it? But it's a representative of God's whole created order worships Him. All of His created order declares, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. He is holy. As we look at this creature, right, this is wholly different, and, and holy I mean with a W, right? It is completely different than anything we may have ever experienced. And what do they declare? They declare the separateness of God. This creature that we have no recollection for around what it might be like. This creature says, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so, you know, in the, in the language here, holy, 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 it's, it's like you can't, they didn't have a word like we have for, um, so if you say somebody who's, I don't want to use fat, I was going to use that. Um, Johnny, there's no Johnnies in here. Johnny is fat. Johnny's brother is fatter. Johnny's uncle is the fattest. Okay, so... The idea of when we hear holy, holy, holy is holy, holier, holiest. They, they can't get over that. So night and day, night and day, they, they, our first sense of the glory of God as we bow our heads and our hearts is holy. No holier. No, no, no. He's the holiest. That's the idea. And night and day, flabbergasted with the holiness of God, they are on their face in worship of Him. Holy, holy, holy. Day and night. Never ceasing. This reminds me of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See this? Night and day. Wherever we go, declaring the holiness of God. Night and day, with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our might, that this would be forever in front of us, the holiness of God. And that we would teach that to our children, that we would teach that to our neighbors and teach that to our friends, that as they declare something else separate and high above and worthy of worship, we say, no, 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 no. Only God is worthy of our praise and our allegiance because He is holy. He is set apart, pure, perfect, righteous. He is the one to, who deserves all praise, who deserves all glory. 
tough thing for us is that we like to praise ourselves. Tough thing for us is that we like to praise other people. Tough thing is, is that we like to find adoration and adulation from our friends and our neighbors. We want them to think very well of us. What if we like the, this admonition to Israel in the Shema there that we declare... We declare this, that God is holy, that God is worthy of praise, that God is worthy of adulation, not me, that, that the only one who deserves praise and honor is him. What if when somebody compliments you, you say, that is to the glory of God, praise him. What if we turned our hearts like that and we had him in front of us in that way? So those, though these creatures, they represent the created order, they are unlike anything we've ever seen. They are set apart as completely other, and yet night and day, they declare the holiness of God. They declare His otherness. Separate otherness. If this is the activity of heaven, day and night, never ceasing to worship God, I wonder this. In the average church in America, they consider regular attendance to be twice a month. Each month, there are 4.33 weeks if you average it out across the year. Less than half the time, less than half of the time that's set apart for the worship of God and to come into His presence, we participate. As we think about this, they never ceased night and day. We who cannot be troubled to gather even once a week to worship Him now, well, if heaven is our aim and heaven is our goal, you'll be most miserable there. You'll be miserable in heaven if night and day those who are in heaven get their joy from His presence. If we can't get our joy from being in the presence of the Lord today, we will be miserable people in heaven. We will be miserable and I love what Psalm 16 says about this, that in His presence is the fullness of joy. In His presence is the fullness of joy. Are you lacking joy in your life today? Are you lacking joy? If you are, are you in His presence? Because it's a, I think that when the Word of God says something, it's a guarantee. That when it says that in His presence is the fullness of joy, I believe it. It's the truth. It doesn't make it the truth because I believe it. It's the truth because it's the truth. In His presence is the fullness of joy. Are we lacking joy in our lives? Well, do we put the presence of God as a secondary thing? A tertiary thing? Or a thing that when I get around to it and I have nothing else better to do... Or, how about this? I go into the presence of God when I'm really troubled and hurt. When I really have problems. I would imagine that around Houston, Texas right now, those who haven't been to church all year are probably in church. Those who would claim the name of Christ everywhere, that they may not darken the doorstep of a church all year long, maybe Christmas and Easter. But they're probably there this week. And they were probably there last, last week. Only when I'm troubled. Only when I'm troubled do I seek the presence of God. And then I wonder, why do I lack so much joy? God is far from me. I sense. 
Well, have you entered into His presence? So here we are. One of the reasons that as we set aside Sunday morning and we go through some of the things that I go through, even the pastoral prayer and the timeliness of those things, is that we would leave the ordinary life. And it takes a lot for us to leave what is ordinary. We come in, we're just in a building according to the world out there. We're just in a building like any other building. And that's why as we come in, we are overcoming the ordinary to come into the extraordinary presence and glory of God. And so it takes, it takes some intentionality to leave what is ordinary to come into the extraordinary presence of God. We have to do that on purpose. We have to purpose to come into the presence of God. And so this morning as we prayed and as we sang, I kept praying and kept thinking about removing distractions. Because this morning, as we are gathered here, we're not gathered here to hear me. We are gathered here to enter in to the presence of a holy and awesome God who is glorious beyond all things that we could even want or desire out there in that world. Now, let's look at verses 9 through 11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, O Lord and God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created." Out of nothing, out of nothing, God created all things to His praise and to His glory. The creation itself declares the worthiness of God for worship from that which He created by His spoken Word. Creation exists only because He desired it to be so. He desired it to be so and it was. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Before you were in your mother's womb, He formed you. Because He said so. Right? It exists because He said so out of nothing. He declared it. And this is His worth. As these who are these representative of the church these 24 elders, would be in an estimation of the, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, right? Representative of all of God's people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. Representative of them. And notice this, that as they are around the throne, in verse 4, they are in white garments. They are robed in white. No one will be around the throne in their own righteousness. There will be no one around the throne who did enough to get there. There will be no one around the throne who forsake enough sin, who did enough good works to earn God's favor. Those who are robed in white are those who are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ who took our filthy rags upon Himself 
and robed us in His righteousness. Those are those who are around the throne. Those are the ones who are overcomers. Those who have the overcoming Savior. Well, as they cast their crowns before the throne, the crowns, the crowns mentioned here in Revelation 4 are the crowns of victory, not the crowns of royalty. These are crowns of achievement that like a winning athlete would have in the Olympian Games. The 24 elders representing all of the redeemed of God through every achievement, every reward back to God because they knew and proclaimed that He was worthy. He was worthy to receive glory and honor and power. I want us to notice another couple of things in here is that repeatedly they declare this. The one who is seated on the throne lives forever and ever. They want to declare this. They want us to get this. John wants us to get this and he wanted the first century church to get this. Is of everyone, anything that has ever been created or is, only this can be said of God and God alone. That He is currently existing, that he is alive, that this worship is going on now around the throne, but that he always was and that he will always be. That's what they're declaring here, that he who lives forever and ever, that cannot be said of you and said of me. It cannot be said that in eternity past we existed. It cannot be, but, but here's this, this is about God who lives forever and ever, the only one of which that can be said, the pre-existing one, that nothing created him, that he always was. That's what they're declaring here. He lives forever and ever. He always was. He is now active and alive in our lives. That's the thing that we often forget too, isn't it? That God, we look forward sometimes to heaven, thinking heaven's all that matters. I'm going to heaven I made some decision or some declaration one time when I was a kid. I punched my ticket. I'm going to live how I want to now because I punched my ticket. I've got it. I'm going home one day, right? I think we forget that God is active now. That as it is in heaven, we've, we've prayed this prayer Lots of times in our lives from Matthew chapter 6. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've prayed that. But do we pray that? Do we? I mean, we say it. We recite it. But do we pray that? Do we get that? Live it. Right. On earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. In this instance, what is the will of God? That he be glorified. That he be magnified. That he be declared holy and separate and worthy of praise. That is the will of God as we look at heaven. So when we pray that prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Should that mark our lives? Should that not mark our lives? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise and heaven 
What do we want from heaven? When you think of heaven, what do you want? I think oftentimes we think about no more pain, no more suffering, which is true. Separated from sin, no more sin. No sin in my life, which is true. But what if our aim for heaven is this? The realization of the presence of the holiness and perfection of God. Night and day in the presence of the Holy One. As the one who spoke me into existence and everything else that exists. What if that was our heart's aim? I just get to be in His presence. These other things are all true. But I cherish His presence over I cherish my comfort. I cherish His presence over anything. That will keep us focused on heaven. And as, as Titus was, was teaching about the idea that, that those who are waiting for their blessed hope, in waiting for the blessed hope of being in the presence of the glory of God, Jesus Christ himself in our lives is actively purifying for himself a people. Because as you see around the throne, it must be pure. He is purifying for himself a people to be in the presence of the glory of God night and day. And night and day we will declare holy, 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 worthy is the one on the throne. Our text says that they cast all their crowns before the throne. There's no divided opinion in heaven, no sect, no party, no schisms. They're all in perfect harmony and in one accord. What one does, all do. They cast their crowns without exception before the throne. Can we practice that now together as a body? We have no divisions, no strivings with one another for preeminence, for position. Can we get rid of everything that would divide us from each other or separate us from the Lord? There's not one single elder in this who envied his, own, his other brother's crown. And he said, I wish that I were like him. I wish that I had had his crown. We don't read that any of them began to find fault in his brother's crown and said, his jewels are too bright or his things are peculiar to me and mine are of greater excellence. We don't read any dissension in their Dewey. They were unanimous in casting their crowns at Jesus' feet. They were all unanimous in glorifying God. So on earth as it is in heaven. Do you want joy in your life? I do. I certainly do. I found this, that joy for the believer is in His glory. Joy for the believer is in His holiness. Joy for the believer is in His worth. We don't talk about heaven much because it's not about us. But if we want to do the activity that is going on in heaven here on earth to do the will of God, we find that our joy is found in His glory, not in our own. That joy is found in His holiness, not in our religion. That it is found in His worth, not in our working for His praise of us. 
Do we worship God as it is in heaven? Do we find the fullness of joy in His presence? One of the tests of our worship might be this. To examine our checking accounts. Where we spend our money is where we find our joy, isn't it? If we examine our checking accounts and our ledgers and say, this is where I spend the resources that God has given me, I must really find my joy in those things. Well, not just money. Maybe we examine the time that we get to spend away from our daily chores and work. Where we spend our time is where we find our joy. I ask that the Lord help us this morning to live a life of worship. To live a life of worship on earth as it is in heaven. A life that finds its joy in His glory. A life that declares the holiness of God. When they cast their crowns, they finish by saying this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Isn't God all-powerful? How would He receive power? The idea here is you are worthy to be given every strength that has been given to me right back to you. You are worthy of all of my energies. You're worthy of everything that I have. That's what we will do when we are face to face with the glorious and holy God. We will say, oh, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I must give everything. He's worthy of everything that he's ever bestowed on me and I can't give enough. We will give it all. We will give it all. Can we find our joy in his glory? Will we live a life that declares His holiness, that gives honor and worth to God's mighty hand in all of creation? That is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's quiet our hearts for just a moment and then we'll reflect on the word and then we will end in praise. Lord, we pray that Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in our lives. We will be focused on Your glory. We will get our joy from Your holiness and Your worth, Lord. We give You praise in Jesus' name. Amen.